you have the chance to do research on an angel, which you ev- almost every single time you will. You know, whether you're raising money from a restaurateur, okay, what other type of restaurants do they like? What type of food do they like? Are there, are there talks with them at conferences? Watch those talks, read their white papers, look at what they've invested in on Crunchbase, see if you can learn anything about their family. You know, do their kids go to a private school or college or something like that? Do you have anything in, in common with any of them? If you can find that stuff and tailor your, you know, your pitch to them or create an actual personal connection with them, you're going to want to... Hey everyone, this is Devin Miller here with another episode of The Inventive Journey. I'm your host, Devin Miller, the serial entrepreneur that has built several uh, startups in the seven and eight figure businesses, as well as the founder and CEO of Miller IP Law, where we help startups and small businesses with their patents and trademarks. And today we have another great guest on the expert episode for Inventive Journey, Jesse Walsh. And uh, Jesse, um, he'll be talking a little bit today, kind of on a couple different topics or a couple different aspects of a topic, which is really how do you raise money? And he'll kind of walk us through a bit of his experience of how he raised money for some of his businesses and then flip the table because he's also uh, transitioning or doing some on the VC side and talk a little bit about now what the V or what event VC or for those that don't venture capitalists, um, what they're looking for as well. So we'll kind of have a good discussion on how that all goes together, what it's like to raise money and how you guys can do it yourself. And with that much as an introduction, welcome on to the podcast, Jesse. Thank you. Happy to be here. So maybe give us just a couple, you know, <clears throat> one or two minute overview, and then we'll jump into how you raise money, but kind of what is your background? How did you get into business and what, you know, what, what's your story that led you up to start raising money for your businesses? Sure. Um, <clears throat> my background is uh, a little varied. Uh, I actually started in entertainment. I was a, a film producer um, in mainland China and uh, produced a couple movies in, in mainland China to um, had a lot of success out there. Uh, Any movies po- that we'd recognize or that we should go watch? Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, I'm sure you know uh, Hua PR. That was uh, probably my most successful. You're, I'm sure all your, your speakers or your, uh, <laughs> your viewers are all Mandarin speakers, right? No, but I am actually a Mandarin speaker, so I actually served a religious mission in Taiwan for a couple of years, so I did actually learn uh, Mandarin Chinese for that, that period of time. Oh, good for you. Small world. All right, now, so we'll jump forward, but anyway, I'm just curious what movies, or if there's any earth-shattering Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon, or something that everybody would know. No, well, uh, I mean, if you were if you were in China in 2012, you definitely know Hua PR. It was uh, the highest grossing film in Chinese history oh, uh, awesome. at the time, a record which has been broken many right. times since then. Um, but uh, the, the the political landscape changed a little bit if you've been uh, keeping keeping tabs on the past 10 years. So hmm. um, I moved into tech and I got to be chief of staff for um, a couple uh, uh, very noteworthy CEOs, Ben Gertzel, who's kind of the grandfather of uh, artificial general intelligence and Eve Bergquist. Um, and uh, we did a whole bunch of different projects. Um, SingularityNet, which was a completely uh, distributed uh, AI network mm. of services, kind of like, um, kind of like, a, almost like blockchain, um, mm. but uh, for services for AI. And um, Sekai, and uh, Corto, Novamente, um, and uh, my brother has founded a company called AppChat. And so I got to uh, move from being chief of staff to uh, 
COO and, and get a real actual leadership position. And, um, and then I'm also raising money for a VC fund. Uh, and I also worked in private equity for a little while as well. So I, I kind of went, uh, I was always doing at least one operator type of thing and one fundraising mm -hmm. type of thing. Sometimes they were together, but um, I, I really just sort of uh, went with where my skill set was needed the most. And that's how I got from entertainment to technology, back into entertainment, now into entertainment and technology and mm -hmm. financing and kind of the, uh, the, the, the crossroads between those three. So now, so let's, as we mentioned, so now with that is a great introduction and appreciate that. Let's dive into it a little bit. So some of your business, you've been on the fundraising side. Is that right? That you've actually yeah. gone out, you've had to raise funds, you've had to actually, you know, get money into the business to support it. Uh -huh. So kind of walk us through what was that, what was that experience like? And what are the, some of the things that people may want to look out for as they're going out and trying to raise money? Yeah. So, um, you know, one thing I've learned is uh, there's a million ways to do it. I mean, as many different companies that have raised money, that's as many different ways there are to raise that money. And mm -hmm. uh, it changes drastically depending on how much money you're raising. Um, for one of our ventures, I mean, we, we only needed to raise 250K. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, and we wanted to raise 750K to be safe. And that was one of the toughest raises um, that we've ever, that I've ever been a part of. Uh, we had another raise that was $36 million and we raised it in 20 minutes. So, um, and I've done sort of everything in between. So there's a, it's, uh, really, really knowing who you are, um, is probably the most important thing. Exactly. How much are you going to raise? Why are you raising that much? Um, that's really the first step. So let's and, dive and into that. It. So, so let's say I have a business, right? And I'm going to call mm -hmm. it Devin, Devin's restaurant because like, I'm so original, but you know, I have yeah. a business that I, I, and I, and I know that, you know, it's, it's a business that I can't sell fund, right? And there's some businesses, Hey, you can bootstrap, you can sell fun, you can get a widget, you can get a product out, or you can do an e-commerce platform or some of those other things that you really don't need to raise money for. But let's say I'm saying, Hey, I, I know I need some money or I know I need to, I won't be able to do it on my own, but I'm not really quite sure. So how do you go about kind of tackling how much should I ask for? And what, you know, what, what, you know, how do you even convince people to give you money? And I'll get pause on my question in just a second, but the follow on to that is because I think almost you kind of were almost touching on it is sometimes you can ask for either too much money in the sense that now you've overvalued your company and you're never going to hit the metrics of what they want on a return. And it, all, it oftentimes causes problems. And so now you've valued it at 10 or 10 million and now you have to get an increase from that and it actually handicaps your business. So you kind of have that sweet spot where you don't want to ask too little and you don't make it all the way through, but you don't want to ask too much and either handicap your business or give up too much equity. So how did you within the different companies you did fundraising for kind of come to come to a, a balance as to where you, where you, what you asked for? Yeah. You know, that's a really good question. That's actually um, something that I, I, if I'm being perfectly honest, I don't think I'll ever truly have a handle on that <laughs> because uh, you know, un unless you're operating the business for a little while and you know, your burn rate, you know, then mm. it's really easy to get a grasp on that. Um, mm. I, you know, it, it really comes down to experience and, you know, Devin, if you've never been a restaurateur, uh, right. but you know, you have this great idea for a restaurant, um, that's when you reach into your network and start seeing who has uh, restaurant experience so they can give you a good idea of about how much you're going to spend. Um, mm -hmm. Because effectively what you want to do 
is you want to get enough information if you're able to get this information all yourself or if you have people around you that can act as your advisors. Um, you need to have a really solid understanding of what you're going to spend and what the absolute minimum that you're going to spend is. Mm. And the way you find that is by uh, looking into all of the different costs that mm. are right in front of you. Obviously, it's a restaurant. You're going to need food. You're going to need tables. You're going to need chairs. Um, but then, um, you know, my uh, uh, a friend of uh, a friend of mine calls it looking beyond your nose. Um, mm. She's actually a risk assessment analyst, uh, and uh, when you're when you're doing that, you want to look for those type of costs that you don't really think are going to be a part of it. I had a friend who had a really great idea. Um, well, he's, he's working on it now for a, a, an AR concept, mm. augmented reality. Mm -hmm. And he's got interest from clients. He's got a pretty good team lined up. He has a really great long-term plan. Um, and as I was going through some of the stuff that he was talking about, I was like, where are your maintenance costs here? And he was mm. saying, well, you know, once I build it, as long as I build it right the first way or the first time, then uh, I'll have hardly any maintenance costs. And, and I just I, I, I immediately red flags popped up in my mind because a lot of people don't realize, you know, with a restaurant, with software, with, uh, I don't know, a sports team, whatever it is that you're running, there's costs that you might not realize are there. And mm. software breaks, cars break. Uh, sometimes things change, you know. Uh, Scala, that programming language is about to be updated to Scala 3. So mm. some of the syntax of Scala 1 is about to be completely uh, outdated. Now mm. you can write your syntax perfectly. You can build your car perfectly, uh, but you don't affect the potholes in the road. You don't affect the software changing. What the internet was 10 years ago is so different to what it is today. And nobody mm. could have built a perfect website 10 years ago that would function 100% the way we want it to today. So that's a, a big thing that people don't, um, people don't realize unless they've done something before is there are going to be costs that you don't even know that you don't know them. And you so need to there, find those people to tell so you what they of, are. So is there a rule of thumb, you know, cause I, I hear that, you know, the adage that take whatever you think it's going to cost, double the amount of time, double the <laughs> amount of costs. And you're probably about there. Is that a, a fair rule of thumb? Is it, you know, is it wildly out of line or, Hey, if you got it, if you do a really good job, should you just go with the numbers you think, or is there, is there any truth to that? Uh, you know, double doubling it. That is, it, it sounds silly and it sounds overly simplistic and it is overly simplistic, but it's hmm. going to get you pretty close. Uh, it's going to get you pretty close because it's going to things don't go right a hundred percent of the time, right? Every single time, then maybe doubling your costs is not necessary, but hmm. things aren't going to go a hundred percent, right? A hundred percent of the time. And I don't so know doubling, that I've ever been in with or involved with the startup where any of it went a hundred percent, right? Any of yeah. the time. It's so always the more things that are unexpected, more things you have to deal with. And it always takes you longer and costs more than you ever anticipated. Yeah, yeah, and you're gonna need those. Uh, you're gonna need those extra dollars when that happens, because it inevitably will happen. Mm. So now I'll, I'll keep on that for just a minute. So now you've gone out and pitched. You you had some of your businesses. You went out and pitched, got some money. What was some of the worst mistakes you made, or some of the things that you look back and said that I should I'll I learn my lesson. And I'll never do that again. Right off the top of my head, um, uh, you know, a family office versus an investment bank versus a sovereign wealth fund versus the venture arm of a, of a large company 
uh, mm. versus a company that's or a company organization that's giving you grants. Those are so drastically different ways of pitching. Um, mm. You know, the the needs of now, I don't know how many people in the business world are going to be pitching like a, a pension fund, but the needs of a pension fund versus the needs of an angel syndicate are so hilariously different. And mm. if you show up even just with the same deck, let alone the same pitch, mm. um, you're, you're either going to miss one of those two or both of them. And mm. the amount of research that you have to do when you're pitching these people, you're going to miss out on all kinds of money. And uh, I see that happen all the time. That's probably the number one thing that I think people make the mistake of. Um, beyond that, I would say. Um, so if I were to take that, it's almost a know your audience, right? In the sense that it's not yeah. all like Shark Tank, right? And as much as people love Shark Tank and hey, I'm an avid fan, not everybody is just, hey, any business that comes along, I'm going to evaluate the same. Because to your point, almost, you know, an angel investor is willing to take a higher degree of risk. Venture capitalists are going to say, I want a four or five X exit. And I want to do that within anywhere from what, two to five years, depending on the fund. And you're going to say, hey, a pension fund, they're going to want to have a long-term investment so they can have a return for those who are retiring. So I like that in the sense that, you know, customizing your pitch based on who you're pitching it to, it needs to be taken into account because there are differences between who you're pitching to. Yeah, I would even take it a step further, or I I should say I do take it a step further. When I'm going out and pitching, you know, a family office, I'm going to look on Crunchbase and see, have they made any prior investments into alternatives? Were those investments into something that I, that, you know, that my fund or my company does? If I'm going and pitching the family office of a doctor who uh, made a billion dollars by creating some sort of solution in life sciences, and here I am over doing uh infrastructure technology and i look at his office and they've only made investments into life sciences i should probably not take that meeting or Mm. i should probably i'm either going to have to convince this person in this office to invest into something completely different than anything that they've done before or i could just maybe make the intro ask them if they know anybody you know at the furthest but you'll see that happens all the time Um, Mm. if you're raising money for your company and you're pitching somebody who's not in your space don't bother. Make the introduction, get to know them, shake hands. Um, but uh, but you really need to make sure that what you're selling, you know, is something that they want to buy. You're not going to convince them, uh, or at least never in my experience, you're not going to convince them to invest into something that they don't have any way of actually truly understanding what it is and probably nor do you want to in the sense that not only is when you take out an investor you also want their connections you want their ability to you know increase the the it contribute to the business and if there's something where hey all you're taking is their money you're losing out on a lot of the advantage they could otherwise offer you and they'll probably be frustrated because they're not going to understand what's going on with the business so now I'm going to ask one other question before we talk, jump over to the VC side, which is if you're a business, you know, and taking your, your businesses and the ones you've raised as an example, how do you go out, you know, how do you even go out and start to identify who to pitch to, right? Or which funds to go to? Do you go to Google and you just Google venture funds? <laughs> you go to venture, you know, venture, you know, venturecapitalist.com. Do you go to angels list? Do we know <laughs> what is the best way to find where, who to start pitching to? So those first two were kind of ridiculous, uh, but Angels List actually is a pretty good place if you wanted to start. Um, you know, you could hire a guy like me 
Um, mm. And you can uh, use my network and I can, and I can uh, introduce you to the people and I do the research and everything when I, when I do get hired to do like a raise for a company. So, you know, they, they get warm intros to people who I know, or at least people who I've made a relationship with that I know is in their space and is interested in investing what they want and the check size that they want. Obviously, if you're going to be, you know, when I was in private equity, it was a, it was a big transition from asking people for million and $5 million and $20 million checks to asking individuals mm. for 50 and hundred thousand dollar checks. Um, mm. But uh, uh, you know, you start, if I'm being perfectly honest with you, if you're not going to like uh, you know, have somebody like me to show up on your team and, and give you 20 hours a week, you're probably going to start with your friends and family. Mm. Um, and I know that sounds ridiculous and it sounds painful, but it's not so much about um, getting your friends and family to give you money. It's mm. about getting your friends and family to buy into what you're doing so that uh, they can feel a part of the team. Maybe your uncle who makes 900K a year and you're looking for a 500K check, maybe your uncle has that kind of money, but maybe you don't go to your uncle because you want him to write you a check. He's probably got six or seven buddies that do that type of thing. And mm -hmm. once he or she your, or, or aunt or whatever introduces you to those people, you branch out from there. People, if they're on board with what you're doing, they want to feel like they're a part of it and they're going to want to help you. And oftentimes helping you doesn't come in the form of writing you a check. It comes in the form of introducing you to people who might write you a check mm -hmm. and asking somebody for uh, advice and for help is probably going to yield you more money, ironically, than asking people for money. If you ask mm. people for money, they're going to offer you crappy advice. If you <laughs> ask people for advice, they're generally possibly going to still give you crappy advice, but they're more likely to give you money and introductions. And that's ultimately what um, you're going to need. Beyond mm. that, uh, honestly, this sounds kind of ridiculous too, but um, LinkedIn is an absolute gold mine. I mean, if you're not like lucky, like I was, and I, you know, make no mistake, I was very fortunate with my career to have been working on movies and got introduced to a bunch of Chinese billionaires who had a whole lot of money to spend. And I got plugged into that network. Mm. Um, but when I came back to the States, I sort of had to start over. Uh, mm. And LinkedIn is a huge, huge, huge tool for that. Um, mm. You, if you really know how to get it and, or, or use it, and you really know how to work it, uh, you can get introductions to people who you not in a million years would have any business meeting um, and get sit down meetings with them. And you can just expand out from there. But, you know, if you have uh, uh, health insurance, um, every single time you go to your, see your eye doctor, you're you're meeting with probably an accredited investor. Uh, mm. So every so every single time you meet with somebody, it's not a bad idea to work on your little five minute pitch while you're getting your eyes checked or, or your teeth checked or or your knees or whatever it is checked um practice pitching on them you know they've always got the money selling, right? always be selling yeah and you should and people are going to buy into what you're passionate about if you're really excited about it um and you and you're really enthusiastic about it uh you know it's funny working in vc um i'm working with these two vcs they're young they have a pretty short track record an amazing track record but we'll get on calls with them and other GPs of other funds, large funds, like, like name, if I mentioned the names, you'd know, and these GPs are so passionate, passionless, and, mm. 
and monotone in, in the stuff that they talk about. And it blows my mind because here they are living so many people's dreams and yet they don't seem to care. And when some of these younger emerging managers get on the phone and they start talking, you can feel LPs, they, people pick up, people listen. People are going to want what you're selling if you're passionate about it. And you really need to practice that passion. And, you know, your eye doctor is a great, great person to, to pitch to. It's a great way to start. If you're, you know, looking for more money, if you're, if, you know, a 50, 100K check from an eye doctor or whomever is probably not going to work for you and you need a million dollar check, um, you know, start reaching out to those smaller institutions or those um, uh, registered investment advisors and just be excited about what you're doing because even the most passionate list person is still probably got into that field because at some point they were passionate about it and they're going to connect with you uh, if you really, really care about what you're doing and you think you're going to change lives. So now, so no, and I think that's all great advice. So I'm going to kind of do a follow up that transitions a bit, and we're we're I don't know if we'll get all all the way to all the VC stuff you do, but you know, as an VC and kind of looking at those, you know, as you're transitioning to doing your own fund, you've done a little bit of smaller funds, you're working to get a bigger fund, and you're kind of doing yeah. or getting some of that staying power. When now we do talk about that friends and family round, is it a flag that, you know, if you're not able to go convince friends and family, the people that you do know and would otherwise invest, is that a flag to a VC meaning, hey, I, I don't have any friends and family around, nobody is willing to invest in me. Does that look like a flag or not so much? No, 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 it, it really doesn't. Now, if you're going to a VC and you haven't first gone to angels, that's going to be a flag mm. unless, you know, what you're doing is so large that it wouldn't make like it that you just need it you know your seed round requires five million dollars because the cost of it is just five million dollars um but no no that's not really a flag now it's it's almost like um it looks good for you to have friends and family on board um i know for the funds that we're raising, you know, the VCs have put their own money in and their family's money in. And mm. that's a really great selling point, but it's not necessarily a bad thing. Um, you know, I'm a, I'm a kid from a small town in Ohio. I mm. wasn't going to have any friends and family invest in you anything that I was dollars. You never know. Yeah. $10 doesn't go a <laughs> long way when, you know, the, the, you know, your lowest paid engineer is making 150 grand a year. Right. Um, so, uh, but what so maybe jump so what are some of the flags if you're a VC what are some of the flags that you that you do say whoa you know I'm not going I don't want to invest or I'm not going to invest or hey I've got to rethink this one based on whether it's the pitch or the individuals or technology what are some of the things you do look for that are cause for a red flag uh it, it, you know if I'm using really broad brushstrokes uh if they don't answer the question just mm -hmm. a the Q just a the Q if the answer's bad just answer it and own it. You know, if you're squirming around and not really giving, giving, you know, the, the, the answer you can, if you answer the question and then justify it later, that's a mm. really different thing than dodging the question. Um, mm. And so that's one thing, um, you know, that's very, it's, it's a, it's a very easy thing to do. And I see a lot of people um, not do it. And I myself was guilty of it. You know, I was worried if I answer this question, it's, I know it's a weakness and I'm not answering it the way that I think they want to hear it. I'm going to try to dodge that question. What mm. I actually found was they're much more interested in just hearing the answer and seeing if it's an opportunity for them. Mm. Um, so that's a big thing. The other thing is, uh, you know, if there's, if something's too good to be true, 
we really try to take a deep look at it. You know, there was, um, there was this company we were looking at. It's actually how I got started with the, the VC um, guys that I'm raising money for now for their, uh, for our fund too. Uh, it was this pharma company and um, it just seemed too good to be true. And, you know, my roommate in college uh, uh, and a couple of friends of mine uh, ended up getting into pharma. And I actually did some AI work for a, a large pharma company. And so I basically reached out to my network, got a whole bunch of people together, and then in- introduced them to this VC. So, hey, you know, David here is looking to make an investment, fairly sizable investment, about 250K of his money. And an additional, uh, I think it was two and a half million on top of that from the LPs doing sidecars into this into this company. And um, uh, he's an amazing lawyer, deep diligence guy, doesn't know about pharma specifically. Can we create a little brain trust here to try and figure out if what these guys doing is, is even plausible. And what we ended up discovering is that uh, it was what they were talking about was plausible. We just didn't really believe that that team was able to execute it. So if something seems way too good to be true, and if you really think that your idea is so incredible um, and it must be done and you're going to be the one to do it, if you don't actually have the capabilities, just put together an advisory team of people who can do it. You have to lose your ego. Mm. Or if you're going to keep your ego, just tie your ego to the success of the company, not the success of you. Mm. Um, because at the end of the day, if you're the CEO of a failing company, that, uh, that that you're completely in charge of or if you're the ceo of a very successful company that really everybody else did all the work you're going to get credit for both you might as well <laughs> mm. you might as well be part of the successful company lose your ego let let people around you be willing to build a team um that's going to carry carry the flag for you uh that's that's one thing that we look at and honestly then just being argumentative too that we don't like that at all <laughs> Fair enough. And, I, and I, I'd probably fail that because they always and I but I think that that is a hard one on anybody, especially if you feel like you're being attacked or you feel like they're challenging and they don't trust you. You always want to defend it. And yet arguing yeah. with someone, you don't want to argue with the person you're trying to get get something from question. <laughs> you brought it up and I'm circling back to one comment you made. So how much of it is the idea that you invest in, you know, the opportunity versus the team, right? And you can have a really great team that has a mediocre idea, or you can have a mediocre team that has a really great idea. And which one would you choose? Or how do you decide? The team, Mm. almost always the team. I mean, your idea would have to be so unbelievably good. Um, You know, the example that I use is, um, have you ever heard of the the company called uh, Magic Cab? Mm, I haven't. Completely revolutionary idea. Um, it was, a, it's a, it was an app on your phone. It launched in 2006. It was an app on your phone and you typed in your location and you put in your credit card and they would just send a cab to you to just pick you up and take you wherever you wanted to go. Does it like, have you ever heard of another idea similar to that? Maybe Uber. Maybe Lyft. Uber. <laughs> How come that company you've never heard of? Why hmm. did they launch two years before Uber and you've never heard of them? Because they didn't have a team to execute. Uh, you know, they had the idea and they had plenty of time to execute on it and they, it was working, but they just didn't have, they didn't have the people that they needed to take that idea. And then, you know, two years later in the mm. middle of a recession, Uber launches in the worst possible situation and is one of the most successful startups in history. Uh, they weren't the first people to think of that idea. They probably weren't even the 10th. They were the first ones to execute on it. 
No, and, and that and that, that probably reflects my experience and the startups that I've been involved with and or, you know, being the patent and trademark attorney that I've seen as successful, more often than not, most of the time, it's the people that are have a good team that are able to execute, that are doing well. They can take what would be a, a reasonable or even a mediocre, or even sometimes a bad idea and build something around it versus a team. You can have a great team and if they are infighting or they don't have the skill set or you don't have the connections or they don't have the funding or anything else, they can have a really good idea that will never get off the ground. So I think that that's a good point. Well, we are... Yeah. We're wrapping up towards the end of the podcast, and there are always so many more things I want to talk about than we ever have time. But maybe what would be if you're, and I know it's a hard one, if you're to take one takeaway if people were saying, hey, I'm going to go out and raise money, and you know, what would be the one thing that you tell them, you know, if you're going to go out to an angel or a venture capitalist, what would be the one thing that they should know? Hire me. Um, <laughs> but uh, no, in all seriousness, though, um, uh, just do your research. If you, if you are in a situation where you get to do the research on your potential investor, mm. holy crap, that's a blessing. That is not a task. That is not work. That is a blessing that has been bestowed upon you and you should cherish it because there's plenty of situations and there's plenty of people out there raising money where they don't even get to do research on the people that they're raising money from and they still somehow do it and you can talk to them. They hate their job. Um, and they might be very good at it and they're usually paid very well for it. Um, but it's not fun. It's not sexy. They're sitting in a room. They're just master salesmen and they sit in these equity rooms and they just call people all day and they get money. And that's a, it's not a fun job. If you have the chance to do research on an angel, which you have almost every single time you will. You know, whether you're raising money from a restaurateur, okay, what other type of restaurants do they like? What type of food do they like? Are there, are there talks with them at conferences? Watch those talks, read their white papers, look at what they've invested in on Crunchbase, see if you can learn anything about their family. You know, do their kids go to a private school or college or something like that? Do you have anything in, in common with any of them? If you can find that stuff and tailor your, you know, your pitch mm. to them or create an actual personal connection with them, you're going to want to and they don't like you problems than if they don't and really mm. have a, a genuine personal relationship with them and you need to find one that you're in their space and then two that um that that you're going to treat them like a like a human being that's what we all want mm. so now so now as we wrap up and I, I and first of all that i think that's great advice and i think everybody should definitely take it to heart and do your homework on everything but especially on the individual because you're pitching them they're a human and you have to convince them and the more you know about them and their likes their dislikes what they've invested in before what they don't what they're you know talk with other people they've invested in before and, and find out as much as you can but now as we wrap up if you know you've got your investment fund that you're you know you've been doing you're going to take that to the next level if people want to be part of your investment fund they want to give you your money they want to pitch you an idea they want to be part an employee they want to be your next best friend they want to be any or all of the above what's the best way to connect up with you what's the best way to to uh, to make a connection yeah uh you know the best way would be just reach out to me on email um mm. it's uh jesse j e s s e at appchatcapital.com. That's A-P-P-C-H-A-T-C-A-P-I-T-A-L.com. Uh, you can find me there. Uh, you know, if I don't know, I'm happy to give people my phone number if they want to text me, if I'm going to get inundated with text, that's, I guess that's fine. You're more than welcome to reach out to me uh, uh, at 424 244 
1-800-508-0804. Please don't abuse that. Uh, but uh, reach out. I'm happy to, you know, to talk. Um, if you have problems, work through them. If, uh, you know, if you just want to vent to me, um, that's fine too. Sure. Just try to keep it professional. All right. And everybody needs somebody to vent to. <laughs> so that, hey, maybe you'll get a whole bunch of texts now of people venting of their frustrations of not being yeah. able to raise money. And yeah. then you'll be able to say, I can do it for you. So awesome. So well, easy. I, you can fix that problem. <laughs> well, I appreciate you giving people a couple ways to connect up to you. And I certainly invite everybody to, to reach out. Be judicious on uh, don't just vent too much on, the, on, on texting you, Jesse, but certainly <laughs> make sure to reach out. Thank you again, Jesse. It's been a pleasure. It's been fun to, uh, for you to uh, hear a bit about uh, raising money and how you've done it, what people should look out for, and it certainly has been very insightful. So appreciate you coming on the podcast. I appreciate your appreciation. Now, for all those listeners that are wanting to come on the podcast, either if you have expertise that you're willing, got, want, willing to share like Jesse, or if you want to share your journey about how you got to where you're at today, feel free to go to inventivejourneyguest.com. Feel free to apply to be on the podcast. If you're a listener, make sure to click subscribe so you get uh, notifications as all the awesome episodes come out. And last but not least, if you uh, ever need help with patents or trademarks, feel free to reach out to us at Miller IP Law. Thanks again, Jesse, and wish you the best of luck with your venture fund. Oh, thank you. Best of luck to you too with uh, with your multiple companies and your podcast. <laughs> all right. Hey, if you enjoyed this episode of The Inventive Journey, make sure to go and check out Startups Magazine. They're an awesome uh, magazine and podcast centered over in the UK. And if the magazine is a digital and print magazine where they focus on um, tech startups and entrepreneurs, and they also have a focus on uh, female founders and women in tech. So if you want to check out their magazine, either digital or print, it's uh, Startups Magazine, Startups with an S, magazine.co.uk. And you can also look up their podcast, which is called The Serial entrepreneur so go check them out they're awesome and definitely if you like this episode you'll like them <laughs>